Hey, it's Coley, and you're listening to Still With You. Hey everyone, welcome to Still With You. My name is Coley Browning and I am the host of this podcast. I am so excited to introduce to you episode 26 featuring my friend, Devin Page. Okay, let me tell you about Devin. He is a college student, a writer, a podcast host, and a spoken word poet. And if you don't know what spoken word poetry is, keep listening. He will explain everything. I am overjoyed to have this friend because every time I'm around him, I am so inspired. You know, life has not been easy for him. I mean, life's not easy for any of us, but he has used the difficulties that he has faced to be the fuel that sets his heart on fire and what makes him passionate about loving words and loving God and loving literature and loving poetry actually recorded this episode with him last fall, so it was the first episode that I intended to be for season two. It is my honor to introduce to you my amazing friend, Devin Page. We're at the Pensacola State College Library, so I feel so (laughs) academic right now. We literally have to be the most sophisticated-looking people in this library, for sure. With a microphone. (laughs) With a podcast mic, like, what kind of work are they doing? Right. Okay, Devin, tell everyone who's listening just what you're in school for, like, your age. This is what the podcast is about. I want people to get to know you. Well, I'm 19 years old. I actually just turned 19 last month back in August, and I'm actually here at PSC studying an English degree. The hope is to eventually go on to UWF and finish out possibly my PhD. I'm still not entirely sure about that, but possibly finish out my PhD and become some sort of creative writing or literature professor. Writing and storytelling has just always been something I've loved. Like, even when I was a kid, me and my cousin Seth were incredibly close, and all we would ever do is we would play pretend. I've always wanted to go into the army. It was a dream when I was a kid. We would find sticks in the yard that were shaped like rifles, or we would cut pieces of cardboard out in the shape of rifles and like put on pretend uniforms and like go run around the backyard. Or we would pretend to be knights in medieval Europe. I've always loved and had a passion for storytelling, putting a story out there that people want to listen to. And I think that's something that's kind of lost in people now. As our generation has kind of progressed, we've slowly lost that love of storytelling. And I think in becoming a creative writing or literature professor, I think I can one day help people to see that it's in the stories of the past that we hold our future. Come on with that. That like it's 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 in looking it's in being able and willing to look at your past and look at the real life and fictional stories of the past that we can see how we should be in our future. That is one of the first things and getting to know you, I was drawn to the fact that you appreciate things like that. I study English as well in school. And so the fact that you care about that, so many people don't about stories and how they matter. Have you always grown up in Pensacola? Have you have always been a Floridian? I've always been a Floridian. I was born here in Pensacola at First Baptist Hospital, actually. I was born here in Pensacola. And then I lived here till the age of, I believe six years old, Uh five or six. And then my mom, dad, and I moved down to Tampa. We lived in Tampa Bay till I was about eight years old. 
and then moved back up here to Pensacola. Been here for the past 11 years. And that's how we got to know each other was I was friends with your mom first, and then you and I both started working with the Wahoos this summer. You work on the... What is the official title of the team? Uh, we are the Blue Wahoos Baseball Nation production team. Yes, your production. So you do camera and all of that jazz camera, on the big screen. Camera, sound, video board, PA things. We handle basically everything. Everything that you see, the ribbon boards, the light up yeah. LED boards, we handle that. Like Basically everything that you see production-wise is under us in some way. We were in similar meetings this summer for what was happening with the team. We both connected over that. But then originally, I just could not believe that you have the gift of spoken word, which I want to talk about that. But first, I want to go back to the thought of you sharing that you were set on joining the Army. What happened? So I was born with a disability called spina bifida. And literally translated spina bifida means cleft or hole in the spine. To kind of simplify it a little bit. Spina bifida is basically a section of your spinal column, the actual bones that make up your spine, don't correctly form, leaving a hole or a cleft in your spinal column that causes the spinal cord, the main bundle of nerves, to be partially exposed outside the body. Mm -hmm. And it forms this kind of fluid-filled sac called a cyst on the outside of your body on your back. And that can lead to extensive nerve damage. It can lead to... In some severe cases, it leads to paralysis, where people are like stuck in a wheelchair and they have no movement or feeling below the waist. Wow. I was actually born with partial paralysis. I can't point my toes. I can't move my toes. I can't roll my ankle. I can't build a calf muscle because pointing your toes when you walk and run, that's what builds a calf muscle. I didn't muscle. know any of this either. Wow. Yeah. Pointing your toes when you, when you walk, you notice how you go from your heel and uh -huh. you roll forward to the balls of your feet and then launch off. And that launching off is what propels you forward and also builds your calf muscle. Your calf muscle is constantly tightening and loosening, tightening and loosening in that action. I can't do that when I walk, so I have no calf muscle, basically. Mm -hmm. There's no muscle on the back of my lower leg. And so because of that and because of the resulting nerve damage and the hole in my spine, basically, I think they've had to repair it two times. I think my back has reopened twice. How old were you when, that, when you had um, to repair it? Where when I first had it closed, I was a week old. When it reopened, I was a year, maybe? Okay, you were a year old. And then when it opened again, I was two. Okay, so you were really young. I was very, very young. And yeah. then on top of the spina bifida, I was born with another condition called hydrocephalus, okay. which means water on the brain. What uh, hydrocephalus is, is your body either creates too much or can't drain enough. It's called CSF fluid, cerebrospinal fluid. And it's basically the fluid that your skull floats in. Because your brain isn't just sitting inside your skull, it's actually floating in this fluid. Well, if your body can't drain it quickly enough, it will actually build up pressure in the brain. And if that happens at a young enough age, it can actually cause an infant's head to swell to up to three times its normal size. And then if the bones fuse with that pressure still in there, it, it can kill them. Mm -hmm. that, that brain pressure can cause severe enough damage to kill them. So what they did was they put in this pressure valve called a VP shunt, a ventriculoperennial shunt. And what that VP shunt does, as the pressure builds, it will release the fluid, drain down a tube in my neck to what's called the peritoneal cavity, which is basically the space where my intestines are. And it will drain the excess brain fluid into the space where my intestines are. 
and then absorb that. Every branch of the military has specific, they're called disqualifying disabilities. Mm -hmm. And in every branch of the military, hydrocephalus and spina bifida are disqualifying disabilities. Did you ever as a kid dream that you would be disqualified for those? I did not at all. Yeah. I didn't find out that it was disqualifying until I was 14. Yeah. I looked it up and I was like, I, I Googled it just on my phone. I literally just looked up, will spina bifida keep you from getting in the military or something like that? Yeah. And then I found the list. It had different physical and mental disabilities, and then spina bifida was named specifically under the list for the Army. How did you feel when you saw that? Um, At the time, I remember a little bit of heartbreak. I was kind of heartbroken because my dad was in the military. Mm -hmm. My grandfather served 30 years in the Army. My uncle is currently serving his like 16th or 17th year in the Army. I've got a great uncle that fought in the Korean War. Like The Army was something that I felt I was destined for. I, and I still think to this day, had it not been for my disability, I probably would be in the Army. Yeah. Right? I have a huge passion for it. At the time, there was a little bit of heartbreak, but over time, I kind of learned maybe it was for the best. Like Maybe there's something else that I'm meant to do other than join the military. Maybe there's a greater purpose there. How have you seen that being played out now? I mean, we've seen God at work in your life. People are like witnessing it. So can you share about that? Just even a couple weeks ago, back in um, August, the last home game that the Blue Wahoos had, I was working camera. I was in the third base away team dugout. I was wearing shorts because it was 150 degrees out there. I was wearing shorts and you could see my, uh, my orthopedic braces. The coach for the Biloxi Shuckers huge minor league Which, baseball team. by the way, for those of you who are not from the South, can we just pause on Biloxi <laughs> Shuckers? I mean, Biloxi Shuckers, the Montgomery Biscuits, there's somebody who's the shrimp um, as well. Sorry, like this is Jacksonville just... Jumbo Shrimp. <laughs> Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, uh, the Mobile Bay Bears. I mean, yeah. Like, it's... I just am trying to like show the culture difference between it's like, it's so, so funny. Different. I love it. <laughs> it's so ridiculously different. <laughs> But yeah, like the, the head coach of the Biloxi Shuckers walks up to me and he goes, excuse me, son, what kind of orthotics are those? Yeah. What kind of orthopedic braces are those? And I said, well, sir, they're called Grafos, ground react. So basically they take the pressure that I put on my heel and on the bottom of my foot and they transfer it to my knees. Did you explain that right there and yeah, then to yeah, him? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, they transfer the pressure that I put on the bottom of my foot to my knee to a front plate in front of my knee and help my knee straighten out. Basically help me standing up straighter. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, that's, that's interesting. I wear orthopedic braces as well. And we had like an hour-long conversation just Did going back really? and forth. Talking about orthopedic braces, talking about surgeries, talking about... I had an hour-long conversation with a minor league baseball coach. Come on! That's <laughs> awesome. Or like, when I was 14, there was one time I was at... Not Brownsville. It's a campground. I can't remember the name. That Liberty Church goes to all the time. They okay. have like all their youth events there. It was this campground and we were in the cafeteria. I was in my freshman year of high school at the time. And I'm sitting there getting my breakfast. It's like eight o'clock in the morning. And this guy walks up to me and he goes, excuse me, son, can I ask you about your braces? And I said, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he starts asking me all these questions. What kind of surgeries have I had? What was life like growing up? And I asked him and I said, well, if you don't mind my asking, why, why do you ask? Mm -hmm. And he says, well, my four-year-old daughter was born with spina bifida. And he goes, I just wanted to ask you a few questions just to see what quality of life was like for you. Wow. And this like 36, 37 year old man is asking a 14 year old life advice for raising his daughter. Did he get emotional in talking about that? Or he did, did he keep it pretty cool? He kept it pretty cool. I got slightly emotional, but I'm a very emotional person. <laughs> Which is why but, you are um, where you're supposed to be with writing. I don't know how you can be in writing and not be super emotional. Absolutely. But. And if you look back at, at other writers, 
like historical writers that were very famous, they all struggled with their emotions. They all struggled with coping with feeling so strongly. Again, I think that's part of something that I've had to contend with a lot of my life. If you're a guy, you're not supposed to be emotional. If you're a guy, you're supposed to be flat, complacent, like a brick wall, like a reinforced brick wall. Me, it's like we run out of Lucky Charms and I burst into tears. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, though. I hope that as a society we're going away from the fact of that guys have to be this stone face, like don't feel any emotion. I hope we are, but I know that's still there. And like, just know that I appreciate it because... Well, and I've I've had this conversation. I was taking a philosophy class last semester and my philosophy teacher pointed out, he's like, men becoming more emotional doesn't mean they're becoming worse men. It means they're becoming better human beings. Come on, come on with that. Oh yes, I love it. Being able to identify with your own emotions and say, this is what I'm feeling in this moment, it doesn't make you weak, it makes you stronger. Being able to look at your own emotions or to read something, like for me, that's what spawned my love of poetry. Mm. Poetry is nothing but emotion. It's emotion put into words. And so that's why I love poetry so much is because it's a way for myself to both put out my own emotions and to read the emotions of others. I want to get to this because this is awesome. Like you have the gift of spoken word. And can you explain what spoken word is for people who don't understand? Because it is still a relatively new practice. And is practice the right word? I mean, it's art. I would consider it art, practice, whichever you want to. You could even say performance, even though performance kind of has a negative connotation to it with poetry. And then I want to contradict myself. I I say like it's relatively new, but I feel like it's becoming more popular. It's always been around. Shakespeare's done it. You know, like everybody. Realistically, if you look at, you know, what's the most popular genre of music now? It's rap. Yep. What is rap but spoken word poetry set to music? It's interesting in that you'll see so many people in my generation, and my age especially, you'll see them like, I don't like poetry, I don't understand poetry, I don't whatever, whatever, but you love rap, and that's just poetry. How good is that poetry? <laughs> you, could, you, could, you, could, you could debate back and forth all day. So spoken word poetry is it's poetry with, written with the express purpose of being read out loud and performed. Basically, like you mentioned Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. It's basically Shakespeare's soliloquies, but put into more modern language mm-hmm. and made personal. And that's the way that I kind of think about it, is it's a monologue and a soliloquy of what that person is going through, or what that person sees in the world that they feel needs to change, or that they see in themselves that they feel needs to change. Spoken word is basically just putting words to your own emotions. It's putting words to what you feel needs to be said. When did you start discovering this voice Um, within you? Like, how did that gift develop? When I was 13, I was in the car driving to Tampa. My um, children's hospital that I went to for all my orthopedic stuff is in Tampa on the USF campus. Uh It's the Shriners Hospital. They're actually partnered with the Hajai Shrine here in Pensacola. That's so cool. But um, we were driving down to Tampa. It's like a six-hour drive. And my mom and I both love this Christian rap group named Beautiful Eulogy. One of the members of Beautiful Eulogy, his name is Odd Thomas. He is a spoken word artist. His he, name is Odd Thomas. It's his, like his stage name. Oh, okay. It's like his stage name. He, he calls himself Odd Thomas. Okay. We were listening to one of his spoken word poems. And my mom looked at me and she's like, you know, you should try that. Because you love Really? Poetry. Yeah, she, we're, just, we're in the car. She's like, there's this app called Evernote. You should, you should try to write something. And I went, oh, okay, cool. And I remember I sat on my phone and I just started writing. And I think I wrote for like... In that moment? You just yeah, started writing? Yeah, just, just started thinking. And I was like, okay, what do I want to say? Like, what do I think people need to hear? And I don't remember what the poem by Todd Thomas was. I could probably find it if I had enough time. 
I remember the basic idea was just about being bold, being bold in your faith, being open in your faith. And uh, the very first spoken word I ever wrote was in a tiny little, I think, Ford Fusion on the way to Tampa. It's a poem called Join the Fight. The whole idea of the poem is like, there's no more will to fight in the modern day church anymore. Everything's got to be, I hate to sound like a guy, but it's like everything's got to be PC. Everything's got to fit everybody. There's this whole, like, you'll see the coexist bumper stickers. You'll see Christians with the coexist bumper sticker. Mm-hmm. Not never realizing that that coexist bumper sticker goes completely against what God tells us. Yeah. We shouldn't coexist. We yeah. should exist peacefully with other people. But at the end of the day, our job is to fight that. We, our fight is not with men, but with powers, principalities, and the devil himself on the earth. We need the will to fight. That's what the whole poem is about, is like, there's this broken hurting world out there and, and you were, were 14 let's remind 13 people 14 yeah okay it's like there's this broken hurting world out there and we're not willing to fight for it and at the end of the day we're doing more damage one of the stanzas said something like do you remember what jesus called the pharisees he called them whitewashed tombs maybe that's not just for the pharisees maybe there's something jesus wants us to see he honestly is one of the greatest poets i mean it's like he gives real. so many amazing metaphors And I'm a very visual thinker. I think in images and metaphors, and I think in scenes. Everything for me is visual. So just the visuals of the parables, of the stories that Jesus told, just are incredible to me. And they are what I aspire to. Really? They are part of what I aspire to, is just being able to give people those stories that they can look back on and think, that makes sense. Because at the time that Jesus was telling these parables, they made perfect sense. You know, the parable of the talents, the parable of the sower, the parable of the lost sheep, those all made sense for their day and age. But one of the biggest things we hear people now is like, well, I don't have sheep. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the heck a talent is. I'm not a sower. I'm not a farmer. And so I think part of what spoken word poetry is meant to do is give people modern day parables. Give people these stories they can look at and they can hear and they can read and they can think, I understand that. And I can see where that's coming from. Spoken word poetry has always moved me, but specifically you, when you spoke at Liberty and shared, it has been anointed. Like, there's no way that you could come up with something like that if it had not been touched by God because you feel it in the atmosphere. And so I just want to thank you for, like, being the vessel. <laughs> thank you, thank you for just, like, opening that channel and opening your heart. I have no words to really explain it other than it's you standing on a stage and letting God pour through you. And I love how your voice gets bolder as the poem goes on and it's almost representative of a journey of how we are with god that with god we do get bolder we do get stronger i hope to see more of it like even as a church or in our community that you're you're using that what would you tell someone who has maybe this gift or another gift that they're kind of hiding under a bushel if we're gonna get all sunday school you know there's so there's a quote by ernest hemingway who i wouldn't necessarily consider, you know, a, a life role model, but there's there's a quote by Ernest he's Hemingway. He's a great writer, though. He's a fantastic writer. Yes. There's there's a quote from Ernest Hemingway that I think applies to how I look at my poetry. It was, if you want to be a great writer, the only thing you need to do is sit at a typewriter and bleed. If I was to talk to somebody that was kind of meek about their poetry and didn't want to do it, I would say, just bleed. Don't be afraid to bleed. Oh, that speaks to me so much, Devin, because I literally get so scared sometimes about putting my emotions, like, there for people to hear. But yeah, that's, keep going, that's so good, though. Like, if we're called to emulate Christ and you are given a gift of poetry or a gift of speaking, 
you speaking, you writing that poetry is is a reflective image of Jesus pouring out blood and water on the cross. Oh, wow. Again, I think in images. It's, it's a direct mirror of what Christ did. Christ was vulnerable. Christ was scared. Christ was... He was frightened, and he, he didn't know what was going to happen mm-hmm. in this. But he knew that by the end of it, it was going to be worth it. And that's what I think, is I think no matter how scared I get, I have to give myself that talk of, like, through me bleeding this out, it's going to be worth it. Because somebody's going to hear this. Of the 50 people that don't, the 51st is going to hear it. And that's trust, right? You just have to trust. trust. You have to trust. Like, I've written so many poems that, like, by the end of it, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know if I could ever say this in front of people. Like, I would be terrified to say this in front of people. Are your poems usually about faith or are they about just anything? Are they personal? Uh, Struggles for me. Like Like I said, I'm a very emotional person. So I struggle with looking down on myself. I struggle mm. with depression. I struggle with I struggle with quite a bit. From the age of 11 to the age of like 16, I struggled with an addiction to pornography. So I have like, I don't even know how many poems about that. Yeah. It's one of those things that I just, I keep thinking about that. I always think about that quote before I go on stage. Just no, about Ernest Hemingway? About Ernest Hemingway. For me, it's instead of sitting in a typewriter, it's standing on a stage. Yeah. It's like the only thing I need is to stand on that stage and bleed. Do you even get stage fright, though? Oh, I do. You do? I, like... Because you never look like it. <laughs> I honestly, like, I do not like speaking in front of people. But it why do you do me, it then? It makes me so nervous. If you ever see me backstage, like, you'll literally see my hands shaking. Because for one, everyone, he memorizes it. Like, he does not have a paper yeah. in front of him. And so that's, to me, that's part of it is that it is coming, bleeding from you in, in yeah, Hemingway's I, I, words. That's, and I tried one time to have it up on the, the confidence monitor, the lyrics monitor, and it just, it didn't feel right. Yeah. It didn't feel right. And so I was talking to my mom afterward, and I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I was like, I have to memorize it. I have to say this from my head, because in saying it from my head, I'm saying it from my heart. I'm not just reading it. When somebody says something out loud from their memory, it's very different from when they read it. Mm-hmm. You can still read something and make it incredibly powerful. But there's something about saying it and having the drive and having the determination to memorize it that shows to the people that you're saying it to that I care. Before I perform a spoken word, I probably take two whole weeks and every day for at least an hour, I will sit there and I will read it over and over and over and over again. Does that begin to change you? Because a lot of the words that you speak are about the Lord and about who he is. I remember even from the words that you shared at Easter, you were talking about how even the rocks acknowledge you. Yeah. Do you feel that because you are spending that much time in the truth about the Lord, do you find that kind of changing from the inside it, out? It does. It, it very much changes you. And I feel like it, it very much changes the way that I look at myself. Because yeah. if, if you listen to, if you know Pastor Patrick Waters at the, um, mm-hmm. the Blue Angel Campus, He'll always joke with people. He'll say, like, I'm not preaching for you guys. Because I'm preaching for myself. You people are just along for the ride. Obviously, it sounds kind of weird, but to me, that's kind of how I look at my poetry. Is like, I'm writing my poetry for myself as much as I'm writing it for other people. The things that I say the church needs to work on, the, say that I, the things that I say people need to stay away from, are the same exact things that I have struggled with, that I still struggle with, and that I'm going to struggle with. And so spending that much time in a revelation that you feel is built for other people, you start to see it in yourself. In certain situations, I'll start hearing my own 
poems in my head. I'll be in a situation that I know I'm not supposed to be in. And then I'll hear a line from one of my poems in my head. And I'm like, I need to get out of this. I need to stop. Like, if I'm in a bad habit, I'll hear a line from one of my poems and I'll think, this needs to stop now. Like, I need to change this. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned over the years of doing spoken word poetry is, like, so many people, I think, fall into the trap of a pastor's messages are only meant for the people in the crowd, Mm -hmm. but a pastor's message is meant just as much for the pastor as it is for the crowd. On top of that, I will add writers speakers and not necessarily even like pastors but i'm talking about like even some of the stuff with the podcast like when sharing some of the stuff i'm like this is more me being really open about like what god is doing in my life i know it's supposed to benefit other people i I try to but yeah it is just as healing for the person who's or can healing or convicting i guess and, and for me like i said a lot of my um Poetry is about my struggles with pornography at such a long, at such a young age. Mm -hmm. That addiction started when I was 11 years old. And so a lot of my poetry is about like, I learned this stuff after the fact. I learned purity and I learned purity of mind. I learned purity of soul after the fact. Yeah. After I had already fallen into this addiction for five years. Mm -hmm. Learn beforehand learn through my words learn through my story so that you don't have to learn after the fact yeah like give yourself the grace of learning before it happens before you give yourself the setback of learning after the fact sometimes things in our past can like spur an ugly head and make us um, feel like we're less than when obviously we're not does that happen to you sometimes and if so how do you process that every day and i'm not even talking about like addiction i'm talking about just, I feel like that will speak to people who do carry around a shame that they need to release right now. I'm very critical of my own appearance. Growing up with a physical disability, I'm very critical of myself, mm-hmm. my physical abilities, my appearance, and a lot of those thoughts do come back. And they will come back and they'll start to roll through my head. And one thing that I found for myself is I just have to sit in a quiet, in a, I'm not going to say quiet because half the time I'm playing music. Playing music in the background? Yeah, that's another thing is that I think people tend to confuse peace with God as quiet with God. Oh, yes. This is, yeah. I think that quiet with God is obviously very much needed. Those, you know, Garden of Gethsemane type moments where you you just sit in the silence and listen are very important. But I think just as important are those peaceful moments with God where it may not necessarily be quiet, but you're still hearing his voice. A big thing for me is I'll go into my bedroom, close the door, turn on music, and just sit there. Doing nothing. Sit there doing nothing. Eyes closed, head bowed, listening to music, doing nothing. Until those thoughts finally go away. And somebody actually said this when I was in middle school one time. They said, in those dark moments when you feel like you're surrounded by all your problems, surround your problems with God. When I th- can visualize you sitting there, I think that's what fighting looks like. When we talk about spiritual warfare, that's you on the front lines. of being like, nope, I'm going to choose God. There's a famous painting of a Templar knight with his sword unsheathed, knelt in front of his sword praying. That's what I picture. Yeah. That's what a soldier of God looks like. Mm-hmm. Is somebody that's not just willing to fight the problems that they see in the world, the problems that they see in themselves, and willing to, to take those quiet and peaceful moments and just say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but you know. What does your quiet time look like daily? So for me, it's usually in the mornings. I'm I'm always listening to music. Okay. Like I'm always. What listening. do you listen to? Just curious. Like, what's your top three? Uh, top three. I listen to a lot of Christian metal, actually. So like for today, we had Maddie Mullins. 
uh, okay. speak at the church that one time. He's the former lead singer of this Christian metal band for today. Okay. Incredible band. I love them. Just their message is amazing. For today, a lot of Christian rap, a lot of Andy Mineo. Yes. Beautiful eulogy. Wait, have you heard the song by Andy Mineo, um, Wild Things, Where the Wild Things Are? Uh, I don't think I have. Okay, I'm going to send it to you because I haven't heard a lot of his music, but that song is so good. His music is incredible. Um, Another good one for him is Comfortable is another good one by Andy Mineo. Yeah, a lot of Christian rap. A lot of quiet instrumental stuff, too. Like, it doesn't even necessarily have to be specifically Christian, just whatever instrumental stuff that you enjoy. There's this group called Apocalyptica. They'll do, like, covers and stuff. There are four cello players, and it's all just cello music. No lyrics. It's all just four cellos playing. And I'll just sit and I'll listen to that. As I'm getting ready in the morning, I'll have my earbuds in, and I'll just be listening to music all morning. Speaking of cellos, yesterday I was a sub for Lauren Kirkland. Do you know who she is? Yes. So I subbed for her orchestra class. Oh my gosh, to see young kids playing violin, cello, viola. That was the coolest thing. These guys and gals are artists. Incredibly talented. I mean, and this was literally like junior high kids, and I was like feeling the hype for it. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a lot of it for me, is just finding that time to maybe sit and read my Bible while I'm listening to music. So you can read your Bible while listening to music. Depending on what it is. You are the second person this week who has told me that. My friend Kelsey said that she can handle that too. I think for the longest time, like, I didn't think that was okay. Like, for one, I can't do that because I do get distracted and I will start listening to the lyrics in the song. But give people permission that that is okay. Yeah, absolutely. Just sit, read, and, you know... One of the big ones that I listen to is Tremble by Mosaic Worship. Mm-hmm. I love that song, and I'll sit and listen to that, or I'll sit and listen to Hillsong. Even, again, just like instrumentals and like backing tracks or whatever. You know, if the words distract you, find an instrumental, put your headphones in, and just read. So I'm not very good at the whole traditional bow your head, close your eyes, and pray. That's I'm not really good at that. I'm too ADHD. <laughs> I my the instinct immediately kicks in for me to like start looking around and like what's around me. So a way that I've kind of started to pray is I've always been intrigued by this idea of prayer as a conversation with God. And so I will do that. I will sit in my room with music or not and just talk. I will just sit there and I'll be like, okay, this is what's uh, is going this on a verbal there. or do you journal? Verbal. You, okay. In middle school and elementary school, I was kind of the outcast kid. I never really spent all that much time around the other kids. I had friends and stuff, and I had people that I would talk to, but a lot of times I would end up by myself. Again, this goes back to how important storytelling is for me. I would just start talking, and I would start making up stories. Another passion of mine is voice acting. I've always wanted to go into voice acting. Really? And, I didn't know this either. Yeah, and so I would start, like, I would create worlds and create characters and start, like, speaking in different voices for different characters and just be walking around the playground or around the track or whatever and just talking and just creating. And that's the way that I look at my prayer life is I look at my prayer life as simply me escaping to another world, putting the blinders up, forgetting that the world is there and just saying, all right, God, let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Don't be afraid to be weird. Driving to work in the morning. You've got an hour long commute to work. Talk. Just literally sit there and start talking out loud. Do you, after you ask God something, do you let there be silence or do you normally fill it? 
if I am sitting there talking, I will usually just let there be silence. And it's funny because a lot of the times, those quiet moments where I am talking are where I come up with most of my spoken words. Those moments where I can just kind of sit and talk, a lot of the times the stuff that I'm saying that I don't even realize I'm coming up with, I don't even know if I'm the one necessarily coming up with it. I'll, I'll start thinking and speaking, and then I'll think, oh, that could be a really good line for a poem. And then I'll just start expanding on that. Again, I have an app on my phone called Evernote that like lets you separate all of your notes into what's called notebooks. And I have one called Spoken Word. I actually really need to download that because I'm just using the regular notes. Evernote is and, amazing. Yeah, Evernote I... is one of the best things in the world. But I'll, I'll go into my Spoken Word notebook, start making a new note, type out that one or two lines or maybe a stanza that I came up with, and then just start expanding on it. And that's honestly how I've come up with most of my poems is just sitting in those quiet moments and just kind of letting it organically happen from what I'm thinking. Are you working on one right now? Or are you uh, always working on one? Usually I'm always thinking about something. Whether or not I'm actively working on it just depends on if I feel it's something that I should work on or if I feel it's something that I can expand into a poem that I feel... Like one of the biggest criteria for me is like if it doesn't evoke emotion from me, then it's not something that I should be writing. Mm. For me, my poems should always give me emotion. They should always be something that I feel a deep empathy and connection for. And if I don't feel that empathy and that connection, then it doesn't have the same impact and meaning. So I don't write it. And I leave that for another person to write. That's a big thing for me. But I was working on one two, three days ago. And I just I sat for, again, like an hour, hour and a half, and just wrote. Because I heard this song, uh, Seasons by Hillsong. Oh, yes. That song has changed my life. I, I, I heard Seasons by Hillsong, and I got this image of a forest of trees like decaying and rotting and just no longer living anymore just this forest of evergreen trees and then you know you see this single seed dropped in the middle of the forest and it grows into this tall redwood tree that stands above the rest of the forest you know all the poison all the sin all everything that was in the soil that was killing the forest is drawn up into this redwood tree and taken out of the soil so the forest can regrow and become something new the redwood tree after it's drawn in all that poison it it falls and collapses. In that falling, it was able to spread its seed all throughout the forest. So it was no longer just one tree standing tall. It was a whole forest yeah. that had sprung from the sacrifice of this one tree. And so I just had this image in my head. And so I started writing. I just started writing with this so image of a sacrifice of a king, of a king being planted in the middle of a dead and dying forest, standing tall, but then giving up that status, giving up that standing tall so that others could stand tall in his place. Everyone always associates that with Jesus, but we're supposed to be like Jesus. And so we were supposed to practice dying to self. I'm sure this has happened in your life. It's happened in mine where I'm like, yeah, I am sacrificing right now. Like this is not at all what I wanted, but God, like I'm trusting that this is going to bring up that force like you're talking about, yeah. like for the kingdom. God may not always call us to see the fruits of our results, yeah. to see the fruits of our labor, but there will be fruits to our labor. Mm -hmm. There will be a harvest, even if we're not the one to collect it. Oh, yes. I love that. So. That, that, your, your mind literally is awesome. Like, I love how it works. Like, <laughs> Thank you. seriously, you have so much depth to what you're saying. I hope you write a book one day. You definitely need, like, a collection of poems. Aren't you just excited for your future? <laughs> Uh, I am. I'm. Or does it make you nervous? It makes me excited and incredibly nervous. 
What do you want to ultimately do with your this degree or just even um, outside of it? What do you want to do? Just teach. Do you really? Just be a what teacher, level? Just um, high school or college. Just be a teacher that can ignite that interest in people again. Mm-hmm. That can get people to look past what is there at face value. Because I think that's so much of what my generation especially does is they will just take something at face value. They'll look at the cover of the book and not even care to read the first page, literally and figuratively. And my hope is to hopefully teach people in my generation, like with literature, academics is an afterthought for me. Okay. That's, that's something that you are told you need to succeed in the world, fine, whatever. For me... As we're sitting in Pensacola as we're State si- College. As we're sitting in a Pensacola State College, exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. But Stick it's like... Stick it to the man, no, I'm for, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> more or less, more or less. But it's like... Again, for me, storytelling is more than just something for the academics. Storytelling is is a lesson. The stories that history tells are lessons for the people of the future. Yeah. The good decisions we've made, the bad decisions we've made, and everything in between is a lesson. Because even the Bible itself says history will repeat itself. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything is unoriginal. In a sense, that's heartbreaking, but in, in another sense, it's really encouraging because it's like, we know how to respond now. Yeah, and pressure's off to come up with something new. Yeah, yeah, it's like, we don't need to come up with something new. We know what our ancestors did wrong. We know what they did right. So when that situation comes back up again, we know how to respond. We either do what they did or we do the opposite. And I think, and that's what I want to teach people. These stories, these Shakespeare's plays and... Edgar Allan Poe's poems, Robert Frost's poems, Emily Dickinson, Charles Dickens, just all of these writers, they were onto something. And even like historical figures that wrote autobiographies or biographies, there is something to be learned from everyone that came before us. Mm-hmm. Whether it's what to do or what not to do, there is something bigger to be found in the stories of the past. And that's what I want to tell people. I'm all here for it. And I am so about that God can use stories that are not have the christian label to bring a message for example do you know who se hinton is who um, she, she wrote the outsiders i know of the outsiders and i have heard the name okay. that's my favorite book of all time it's not about jesus at all but i can tell you god has blessed that book to change my life and how i see people i read that when i was 13 i read it so many times since i'm reading it this fall again because i just want to be reminded of it I think it's okay to let God use things that don't have the label to learn those lessons about from the past for the future. In our culture, we have a tendency to kind of completely shut out everything that's dark. We just, we completely shut it out, put up the blinders. No, we can't look at this. We can't listen to this. We can't learn about this. I disagree with that. There's a difference between learning about the darkness and being consumed by it. There's something to be said about, you know, the poets like T.S. Eliot. Robert Frost, yes. all these people that are that give these very happy, very upbeat, very loving versions of the world. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also something to be learned about the Edgar Allan Poe's of the world, of the people that they see the darker side of the world. And while some may be consumed by it, I think there's something to learn there. I think there is as much to learn in the dark corners of the earth as much as there is to learn 
in the lighter corners of it. Oh my gosh, this is so good. So I literally have just finished reading Heart of Darkness for the second time. This is via school. I'm not choosing to read this on my own, but it's by Joseph Conrad. And you're talking about like the darkest corners of the earth. Of the earth. It literally is them traveling into the heart of Africa. And it's honestly about stereotyping people and greed. And that book is not about Christ at all, but has it taught me about how I look at people and how I live every day about like wanting more? Oh my gosh, yes. And it is a book that you feel the dark presence of the depression, the hopelessness, lack of resources in general. I brought up T.S. Eliot. One of his most famous poems is called The Hollow Men. And, you know, the ending to that poem is, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Oh, wow. So dark. Like, yes. it's, it's, it's in the <laughs> middle. And when he wrote that, if I remember correctly, the world was in the midst of, I think, the First World War. It was in the middle of World War One, one of the darkest periods in our history. But after that period, we actually see in T.S. Eliot's personal life, he found Christ. And then we see him going from the Hollow Men to another one of his most famous poems called The Journey of the Magi, which is literally giving his own creative retelling of the journey of the three wise men going to see Jesus. The hope and love and light that is felt in that poem is incredible. It's just incredible to see the shift of going, you know, the world is going to end with a whimper to suddenly the hope of the world has come. And I think there's as much to learn from Hollow Men as there is to learn from Journey of the Magi. You have to examine both sides of a coin to know every detail of it. And I think that's what we miss in our world is we're only willing to look at, you know, the head side of the coin, the pretty side of the coin, and not the back side. We're not willing to look at the darkness, but it's like, no, if you want to learn everything you can about it, you need to be able to look at both sides. So obviously, I f my gift is poetry. Obviously, my gift is, is poetry and not even necessarily, I think, just spoken word, just poetry, poetry and writing in general. Like, I'll even post poems to Instagram. <laughs> don't envy someone else's gift if you don't have it. I spent a lot of time, and I still sometimes fall into that trap of envying the gifts of other people, envying the people that I feel are better speakers than I am, envying the people that I feel are better engineers, better mathematicians, better writers, better whatever. Don't waste your time in that. Take the gift that God has given you, take the art that God has given you, and learn that you're going to have an impact no matter what. If you invest your time into that gift, if you invest your time into your own art, whatever it might be, whether it's engineering, writing, firefighting, law enforcement, whatever, you will see fruit in that. And it's in envying the gifts of other people. That's the only time that you won't bear fruit. I do that a lot. I will see somebody, I'm like, if I only had their looks or their their enunciation or like their credibilities, and it's been hard sometimes, but, and I'm like, nope, I am going to choose the fruit that you're going to reveal to me here. And I think that. that's another thing that people do is I think we work ourselves into the headspace of I should always be content. I should just naturally always be content with what I've got. And the fact of the matter is you won't be. You're not going to always be content in your own emotions. You're not going to always be content in your own talents, but you have two ways to take that. You can either take that discontentment and you can make it into something unproductive and dangerous and you can turn it into envy and greed and just wanting what others have and wanting what you don't have, or you can take it into something productive and you can take that discontentment and think, there's a reason I'm feeling this. I can improve. Oh, wow. I can improve. I can do better. I can write better. I can speak better. I can read better. I can learn languages better. I can teach better. Discontentment is not a feeling that's meant to break us down. It's a feeling that's given to us 
to help us build ourselves up and to help God build us up. And I fall into that trap all the time where I'll start like envying, like you said, I'll start envying what other people are doing. I couldn't join the military. For a while, I envied people that could. I was like, I should be doing that. You know, I should be overseas. I should be in the military. I should be doing that. And then finally, I was able to sit back and look and be like, I'm literally on a stage speaking in front of 18 years old, speaking in front of almost 300 people. That's insane. It is insane. That is pure insanity. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. It is. And I thought about it and I'm like, I don't need what they need. I don't need what they have. I need to improve what I have. It's like the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. Like the ineffective servant was the servant that hoarded his gift, that hoarded his talent. The effective servants were the ones that invested their talents, were the ones that spent time and effort and took a risk on their talents. Those were the effective servants that were given more. The stingy servant that just kept it and was like, no, 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 this is a treasure for me to hoard. This is something for me to keep. He didn't do anything with his life. He ended up not doing anything with the talent that he was given. And so at the end of the day, when the time came for him to face his king and say, this is what I have for you, the trust that the king put in this servant was wasted. But in the servants that invested their time, that trust was given back tenfold. And even more was given back to the servants as a reward. And so that's just what I always try to remember and keep in the back of my mind is like, I need to invest what I have. Because at the end of the day, the fruits of my labor are not for me, they're for God. I'm going to give my talent back to God one day. And I need to be able to stand boldly in front of God and say, I invested. I took a risk. And look at the payoff. Whoever's listening on the other side of their phone or their computer, maybe someone heard like a yes. Okay, I'm going to do it. Like, Lord God, you've been prompting me to do it. You've been calling me and I'm just going to step out. Like, I hope this word confirms it. Okay, God, you kind of gave me this idea for this, but I'm so scared to say yes. And it's like, no, do it. Invest. Like you said, it's okay to be discontent. What if that is, is building to something more? Exactly. I remember one of the biggest moments for me where I kind of came to this revelation was when I did my Easter spoken word. Because up until that point, it had been over a year since I had done any sort of spoken word, poetry, performance, anything. I had been writing and writing and writing. At the time, I had written like 45 different poems. Like I had actually spoken maybe five or six of them. I wrote that Easter poem a year ago. I posted it to Instagram, but like otherwise nobody knew it existed. I remember I finished that poem And I remember standing on that stage and I remember hearing the words of the king from the parable of the talents, you wicked and unfaithful servant. It sounds kind of harsh, but at the same time, it was like, if you look at the context of the story, the wicked and unfaithful servant was the servant who didn't invest his gift. And I kind of heard that in the back of my head of like, you haven't been investing. Really? So you... I... I, I, That's been... You felt it was a prompting. I felt it was a kick in the back of the pants. (laughs) I was like, you've been wasting your time. You've been wasting your talent. You need to do something about this. And this is the first step. Wow. It's like, this is the first step for you giving up your wicked and unfaithful ways. I actually started to tear up and kind of cry a little bit during my spoken word. And that was part of it was I just kept hearing those words, you wicked, unfaithful servant. That you don't feel any shame about that, though. I don't. No. Okay, I, good. I'll, okay, because I was going to say, don't stay there. Like, no, tell no, us, I'll, I'll explain openly, to people. Like, like, I'll, I'll openly tell people. At the time, I felt... At the time, I felt shame for it, but I realized that, again, that discontentment wasn't meant to bring me shame. It was meant to give me drive. Yes. It was meant to be like, I can do better. This is a talent given to me by a God who's limitless. Why should Mm. I put a limit on my talent? Yeah. So. Wow, Devin. This is why I wanted you on the podcast, and I didn't even realize this is why I wanted you on the podcast. (laughs) 
So the podcast is called Still With You. The final question that I always that I always ask guests or, and friends of mine is, where is God still with you? So where is God um, still with you, Devin? I think a lot of it for me is in my fear. You know, in fear of public speaking, in fear of putting myself out there, in fear of being open. And I think as much as open as I am with people, there's still things that I hold back. Mm. And a lot of that comes from fear. And there's actually, there's another verse, it's a psalm. Uh, I don't remember the exact reference, but the the two lines that always stick with me is, you will not fear the arrow that flies by day, nor the terror that comes in the night. Yes, I've heard that before. You know, if I was to say I had like a life verse or something, that would be something. Really? Is that like... I'm going to find that for you yeah, then. Yeah, in, in those moments where the arrows are flying at me during the day and the terror comes in the night, I have something to fall back on. I have a quiet place to, like I said earlier, when you're surrounded by your problems, surround your problems with God. It's a lesson that I still feel I need to learn to some extent, but God's still working on you in that area. God's working on me and he's going to make it happen. I feel like he's already making it happen just from an outsider standpoint, because let's be honest, you got real when I put this mic in front of you. I'm so thankful that you made time for this too, because like you are a busy guy working and then school and just being creative. I will tell you this, and I mean this sincerely with my whole heart, that more people are watching you than what you think. And I certainly... I'm just one of them, but you have encouraged me in my faith, but also just like fellow creative spirit. Not everyone, this kind of stuff sets their heart on fire to hear how words are so powerful and how they work. And so I want to thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You are more than welcome anytime. Please let me know when you're going to be doing your spoken word. When your next appearances? Um, I've been talking to, to Todd a little bit about some of the poems that I have, and I have been had a couple ideas. Do, you do realize that you are, like, shattering their world when you use your words. I, I hope so. I am in the audience, so therefore I will tell you, you are shattering <laughs> word, words, and, and, worlds. <laughs> that, and that's, that's all I want. At the end of the day, I don't care if people remember my name so long as they remember what oh, I said. You were awesome. I don't care if you put my name in lights or put me in a spotlight. If you just remember what I've told and my story and what I've said through my poems, I've done my job. I'm so excited to share this. So excited. So thank you, Devin. Absolutely. So a couple things you should know. Devin has a blog. It's called The Man Who Walks on Clouds, and it is full of all of his poetry. So if you're intrigued by what Devin is creating and you want to read more, please go and check out the blog. It is going to be in the show notes, which you will find on my website, coleybrowning.com. I also will have a link to the podcast that Devin is a co-host for. It is called Poetry in Motion. Devin and another one of my bros, Christian, they came out with a podcast called, again, Poetry in Motion. And I will just tell you that I sincerely mean this. I am a huge fangirl of it. I think they are hilarious and they are talking about some topics that are real and need to be talked about. Please go and listen to that as well. I'm excited about in the future having them on the show, so we're going to make that happen. Again, I want to thank Devin so much for being on the show and for just being honest and for his wisdom. I mean, it is so good to hear from someone who kind of gives us permission to be human and also to feel our emotions that God gives us and be able to really bask in that. I am, again, so grateful. The music that you're listening to in the background is from my amazing friend, Christy Masing. All of the links for her music and ways you can connect with her are going to be in the show notes as well, which you can again find on my website. And that's at coleybrowning.com. 
If you need to connect with me, you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is at Coley Browning. That's K-O-H-L-I-E-M Browning like the rifle. I would love to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for listening. So I have a little surprise. I am not going to close the podcast out as I normally do with Be Bold, Be Brave, Be You. I'm going to share a live performance of Devin speaking spoken word. Please keep listening and be blessed by these beautiful words of my friend, Devin Page. I showed you kindness and hospitality, and yet you stole from me. And you didn't just take some change from the couch cushions or a pen or three. No, you, you took everything. My hope, my joy, my sense of peace. You took everything. You coerced me with this sweet lullaby, led me to believe that in my time of need, you would be there to care. But the only thing you ever did to me was take and take and take. You made me believe you would be my friend, but in the end it was just a disguise to hide your true intent. And I hear you each night, stalking like a lion, waiting till I sleep, waiting to take even more from you. And each night there I wait in my fear and my shame, Nothing more.